have your Bible tonight, let me invite you to go with me to the book of Proverbs chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14 in the Word of God. And often I go to the book of Proverbs and I bear in mind that Solomon who wrote this book was far from the perfect father. In fact, we would very easily discern from a study of God's Word that He was way far from perfect, for He had a thousand women that called Him honey. <laughs> and the fact of the matter is, He had um, seven or 300 wives and 700 concubines, and, and I'm sure that they had to probably wear name tags. He, he probably, towards the end of His life, couldn't remember all their names. Perhaps He could, but the truth is that I am certain that with every passing marriage or union that he had, he believed that somehow that was going to fulfill the longing of his heart, and that would be the end all for him for relationships, but he discovered at the end of it all that it didn't matter how many relationships that he had, how many women that he called wife, that there was no true fulfillment in that because he was looking for a satisfaction. He was looking for a fulfillment in earthly relationships that could only come from God. And it is true what we often say, and that is that there is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every person that only God can fill. And so many are trying to fill that vacuum with drugs and fill it with alcohol and fill it with sex and fill it with perversion and fill it with a career and fill it with money and the reality is that it in the end will never satisfy the deepest longing of your heart only Jesus can do that and that is something that prompted Solomon in the end of his life to write the book of Ecclesiastes and realize that so much of what he did in his life amounted to nothing. He said, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He said that he tried his heart with mirth and, and of course with money and all of the various things that mankind runs headlong after. And he found it only to have broken his heart in his end search. And so, knowing that he had failed his family, that the kingdom would be wrested from him. I believe that in some redemptive act, he took a pen in hand and sought to try to write some things to his own sons that would help them understand how that they should live. For in no wise did he want them to live as he had. And you know, most good parents that I know want better for their children than what they have experienced. They want their children to, to love God and to serve God more fervently than they ever did, to redeem more of the opportunities of life to bring honor and glory to the Lord than, than they have. And, and parents want their children to grow up to love and honor Jesus. And I say this, and I mean it sincerely, that I would rather my children be paid menial wages and live of humble means and love and serve the Lord from their heart 
than to have great paying jobs and live in wonderful homes and have no use for God. And I believe that that's something that Solomon discovered in the end of his days. And, and so he sought to somehow, as an act of redemption, write some words as an imperfect dad to his children. And uh, as I go throughout this book, I often bear that in mind. Sometimes we can be dismissive of those who have had failings in their life and feel like perhaps they have nothing to say to us any longer. But the truth is that if we held the, the writers that God used to pen the Word of God to that standard, there are very few books of the Bible that we could read. As we read through the Scriptures, we understand that almost to a person, all of those people that we uplift as our heroes and those that were people, men and women of faith, they had issues in their lives for which they had great regret. Abraham stands as perhaps the, the sterling example of a person in, of faith in the Word of God, and yet there were at least three instances in his life that if he were allowed a do-over, I have no doubt, he would go back and do it over. And yet, each one of those things alone stand as an offense that was rather egregious, and yet God allowed him the grace to recover and praise the Lord that we now in this New Testament dispensation can be made partakers of the promise that God made to Abraham by faith. Tonight I just want to deal with a few verses of Scripture in Proverbs chapter 14, and we'll begin in verse number 14, and here the Bible says, the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways, and a good man shall be satisfied from himself. Let's pray for a moment. Lord, I pray that tonight you would speak to every heart. Use me and fill me with thy Holy Spirit. For this I ask in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. As we consider the truth that is set before us, we notice that the Bible tells us here, the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. Now, I think it is important that we make a distinction between the backslider in heart and the apostate. For the backslider in heart has at one time made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ and has chosen to follow the Lord, but has now turned away from the following of the Lord and yet has not forsaken their profession that uh, God is uh, sovereign. They have not given up on the realities of, of who God is and the position that He holds. They just have ceased because of their backsliding from practically serving Him while the apostate has given up on the belief in God altogether, has turned away from a love of the truth whatsoever. And so what we find is that this is a person who once loved and followed God, but because of their own devices and their own plans in life, have just drifted away from the, the religion, if you would, or the practice of loving and serving God. 
And the Bible reveals to us that that person will be filled with his own ways. Now, there are a multiplicity of ways in which we could examine and look at this, but I I believe that one of the things that we must understand principally that we draw from this is that as we begin to be drawn away by the things of this world, by careers and by the ungodly that call for our time and our pursuits following after those things that please only my flesh and have no real godly value whatsoever, what will happen is my life will be filled with my way and I cannot find time or place for God's way anymore. Though I may say He is God and I may say He is Lord. I I may believe that He is. And I may not have forsaken Him altogether. I have forsaken His way because my life is so filled with my own ways and my own doings that I do not find any space or place or any time on the schedule whereby that I can serve God. My friends, I I want to just simply say There are too many believers today that are trying to fit God in to their already very busy schedules. And the reality is, if you're trying to fit a little Jesus in around your busy schedule, you've got the cart in front of the horse. We've got things turned around. In reality, we need to begin to see Jesus as our life. He is life itself to us. And we need to come to the place where we fit everything else in around Jesus rather than trying to fit a little Jesus in around the already busy schedules that we have. Because in so doing, in short time, we will discover, just as Solomon wrote, that the backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways. You'll be so full of yourself and your own way, you'll have no time or place for God whatsoever. And then you will begin to reap all of the harvest of the self-life. And what you will reap will be a bitter harvest. It'll be a bitter harvest. In contrast to that, we find that the Bible says, a good man should be satisfied from himself. Now this is talking about that man who honors God with his life. This is talking about that man who recognizes that God is the source of his life and he doesn't try to fit God in, he tries to fit everything else in to the life of God. And if it doesn't quite fit, well then, oh well, the most important part remains, and that is a relationship with God, and that man will be satisfied from himself. And what that reveals is what God produces in your life when you have a relationship with Him, the Bible reveals will be enough for you. You'll discover that when you have fulfillment in Jesus, you don't have to go looking for it in all the places and the things of this world. You'll be satisfied 
in what God produces in your life. That backslider in heart, he's going to have a bitter harvest. He'll never be happy with what's produced in his life. But that good man that honors God will be satisfied with Jesus. Be satisfied with what God produces in his heart. I'm going to tell you something. There are people that are running around thinking that somehow if they can just get a better house or if they can get a better car, they can get a bigger salary, if they can take longer and nicer vacations, if they can just go on shopping sprees or have lots of extra money that somehow that's going to satisfy them and fulfill them. My friend, I'm going to tell you something. When you pass from this life and you step into the realms of heaven, You're not going to wish that you worked more overtime and spent less time at church. But I'll promise you this. You'll wish that you had invested more in that which is eternal. You'll wish that you loved and served God more loyally and more faithfully. You'll wish you had a preacher that preached louder, that preached hotter, that preached stronger, that preached longer. You'll wish that you had somebody that called you to a life of faith, called you to a life of devotion to God. You'll wish. You're not going to say, well, man, I wish I would have had that promotion. I wish I would have bought that stock. Or I wish I would have gotten out of the market when things were heading south. You're not going to wish that you had more material things. You'll wish that you would have invested more in eternal things and laid up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And so we see these words from an imperfect father who made a lot of mistakes but has a desire for his children to live more honorably than he did, to experience God in a way that he wished that he had, and to live more holy for the Savior. As we consider this, We move to verse number 15 where the Bible tells us this, The simple believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. In the use of the word simple here, it is not an indication of a mental incapacity. There are those that in time past used the word simple to indicate that someone had a disability or a mental Uh, shortcoming or incapacity, but this is not what this is indicating whatsoever. It's indicating that this man, the simple man, is ready to hear and believe scuttlebutt. They're desiring to hear things that are denigrating the character of others, and here's why. It makes them feel better about their sad sack lives if they can somehow assign sin or blame to someone else. It it helps them to justify their lack of love and devotion for God and it reveals the simpleness of their own carnal mind 
whereas they, they have not the mind of Christ and they are desiring to hear things and the simple believeth every word. That's the guy that goes to the discussion boards. That's the, that's the gal that goes to the discussion boards and goes to social media looking for fodder so that they can get carried away in a cause. And the reality is that uh, it's a folly for a man to answer a matter before he knows the truth of it, the Bible tells us. And that's exactly what Solomon told his sons as well. And so we've got to be careful that we don't get wrapped up in the pull and the lure of the internet and of watching television and all of the docu-series and docu-dramas and all of the, the things that we can watch that people want to say and we get so wrapped up in believing what we hear and, and uh, trying to pass judgments and cast aspersions on people's lives. My friends, I'm going to tell you something. You don't know what you don't know. And you don't know what you think you know. You don't even know what somebody told you. All you know what is, is what is emphatically true that God has revealed to your heart. The truth of the matter, my friend, is that people go a-whoring after some tidbit of information so that they can broker in that and become the information superhighway of the internet. And sad to say that Christians are out there in front in that sin of wanting to hear some smut. And my friends, I'm going to tell you, if you spend as much time, and if I spend as much time trying to win people to Jesus Christ as we spend reading about other people on the internet, then I'm going to tell you all the world might be saved. The simple believe every word. The Bible tells us, on the other hand, that the prudent man looketh well to his going. That man who is prudent doesn't trust his own heart. Doesn't trust himself. His trust is in God and not in himself. And what he does is looketh well to his going. In other words, he seeks the counsel of godly people. He seeks the counsel of the Word of God and the leadership of the Holy Spirit in his life. He doesn't want to just take everybody's word for it like that simple-minded man. He wants to hear from heaven before he moves on. You know, it's amazing to me how many people want to make life-altering decisions before they have prayed at all for the leadership of the Lord in a matter. I'll never forget, years ago I had a, a couple that I had led to Christ and I had discipled, they were in my Sunday school class. And they came to me and they, they had a lovely home and, and uh, their daughter was in the Christian school and they said, uh, we're, we're going to move to uh, Missouri. And I, I said, oh, wow, what, 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 what brought this about? You know, it's the first I've heard about it. And, and uh, the... Uh, the fellow said, well, you know, I've, I have the opportunity to move up and to take a promotion in my company. And, and uh, I, I, I believe that this is what we're going to do. We're going we're to move to Missouri. The housing market is great. And, and uh, we can have a lovely home much bigger than the home we live in. And, and man, that's the belt buckle of the Bible belt. Man, there's a church down there on every corner. We'll find a good church. And, and uh, 
and we're, we're going we're gonna to do this, Pastor. And, and I said, well, um, you, you know, it, it may be moot for me to ask this at this point in time, but have you prayed about this? And they said, oh, yes. And I said, well, when were you offered the position? They said, last night. I said, you mean, you heard about this last night, and now you're standing here less than 24 hours later telling me that you're moving. You're going to uproot your family from where you've lived all your life. Take your daughter who's growing in the Lord out of a good Christian school and a church that she loves, a youth group that she enjoys, and you're going to move to a place that you've defined as the belt buckle of the Bible belt and just assume that because you have a better job and a bigger house that everything is going to go well. And I said, you know, listen, I, I, I love you. I'm going to miss you. And I'm going to pray for you. You know, it was about six months later I got a call from their daughter who said, you know, we never did find a good church. I really miss it back there. Just wanted to tell you, my parents are getting a divorce, Pastor. Pray for us. We're having a hard time. You know, the fact of the matter is that there are those that think they know better than God. But the prudent man recognizes that he can't trust his own heart. He needs the wisdom of God. And he needs and she needs to Vest time in prayer, seeking the leadership of the Lord and the counsel of His Word, the direction of His Holy Spirit in their life. You know, there are times I just want to sit my kids down, all of them, and say, before you go rushing out to do something that you think is going to be so wonderful, Make sure that you spend at least a day fasting and praying, seeking the Lord's face, considering all of the potential outcomes of such a move in your life and how that they may impact all those in your life that you know and love. I believe that we've got to consider the words of a father that made a lot of mistakes, who in the end wanted his children not to make those same mistakes. And so he took a pen and he wrote these words. In verse 16 we see the Bible telling us here, A wise man feareth and departeth from evil, but the fool rageth and is confident. You see, the wise man feareth and departeth from evil. Do you know that the Bible reveals to us something about the fear of the Lord. And the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is to hate pride and arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. That's the fear of the Lord, to hate evil. It's, the fear of the Lord is not, I'm afraid of God. That's not what it is. The fear of the Lord, uh, Proverbs 8.13, is to hate evil, pride, arrogancy and the evil way and the froward mouth that that deceitful talking and that frowardness of conversation he said those are the things that i hate why 
because I stand in awe of the holiness of my God. And so I want to love what He loves and hate what He hates and, and live in His presence and allow the reality of His presence to lead me to hate pride and arrogancy and, uh, and, and the evil way and the froward mouth to hate those things that God hates. The truth is that a wise man is going to have that attitude towards that which is evil, and so he's going to depart from it. He's not going to be lifted up with pride. He's not going to be given to deceitfulness in the way that he talks. You know, sometimes what we want to do is we want to convince others that every word of our resume is true. We want, we want somehow to put, put that out there and have people believe all of these wonderful things about us. Sometimes, you know, we can really toot our horns about where we are in the Lord or about what we've done for God or about what we're doing professionally because you know what? It's a natural instinct in the carnal man to want others to think highly of them. I don't know anybody that really wants people to think poorly of them. But often what we do is we, we try to sell ourselves to people. And we want them to be so impressed with our, as it were, resume of life. And oftentimes what that is is frowardness. It's just us coloring the truth to make it rosier than perhaps in reality it is. And all that really is, is that's yeah, a lie. And so we need to understand that the wise man will fear and depart from evil. Not going to participate in that which goes against a holy God. But the fool rageth and is confident. And literally what this is, talking about is that uh, he exhibits vainglorious self-confidence. That if anybody tries to suggest that anything that he might be doing is not absolutely what he should be doing or how he should be doing it, he becomes angry, more pompous, more arrogant, more proud, and more determined to prove everybody wrong. And he is foolish, and he begins to rage, and is confident, and he wants to bet everybody that he's right. He wants to prove to everybody that he's right. Just watch me, and they're dependent is entirely upon self and it's all about vainglory. The reality is that we need to come to the place where we believe what the psalmist wrote when he said in Psalm chapter 37 and he said in verse number 5, Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. And He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. You know what that tells us? That if you live the life that God is calling you to live, without you ever saying a word, others will identify that you're walking in His will and His way. It will be as plain as noonday. And God will have revealed it, not you. We ought to live our lives in such a way that we don't need to give out a resume. 
our lives will be evidence enough that we love and honor God. I believe that for those that are too wrapped up in wanting the approval of others, they become vainglorious and self-confident and rage that they know best and better in their own self-confidence. You see, as we consider the professional realm in the secular world, one of the hallmarks of success is possessing self-confidence. The reverse is true in the economy of God. For the believer, success is to have a decreasing confidence in self and an increasing confidence in God. Where we trust Him implicitly. And then as we consider these words of this imperfect father, we notice in verse 17 that he that is soon angry dealeth foolishly. I'm just going to say this, that we're living in an angry world. What we see is anger being vented in the streets. I am not deaf to the cries of those who have been victimized by social injustice, and my heart aches for the times when that has transpired. In fact, today, talk to some young people about this very subject and some who had, they themselves, been singled out for injustice and mistreatment and understood the anger that was out there on the street, but knowing the Lord disagreed with the crazy and foolish manner in which many went about expressing that anger. The truth today is, that he that is soon angry dealeth foolishly. This is talking about the intemperate person. That person that has a short fuse and is constantly going off on people, constantly losing their cool, constantly upset, ready to throw down and engage somebody, ready to argue, ready to fight, ready to contend, and they're soon angry, those people, they deal foolishly. You know what? They play the part of the fool. And you know what? They might think in themselves that they're so right, and they're so righteous, and they're taking the moral high ground, and everyone around them doesn't share the same high opinion that they have of themselves. In fact, everybody has God's opinion, and that is, what? A fool. What a fool. To rage like that. To posture like that. To behave oneself in such an unseemly manner. Certainly, the Bible says, Keep no company with an angry man and with a furious man. Thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways and get a blot under thy soul. The truth is that God calls us to stay away from angry people. Because when we run with them, inevitably, we get ourselves in trouble because that anger is more infectious than COVID-19. And what it does is it turns us all into fools. Because we have 
taken matters into our own angry hands and we have not left them in the worthy nail-scarred hands of Jesus. We have not sought the counsel of the Lord, but we are going out in our own rage and anger and we have forgotten the words of God that appear in the canon of Scriptures repeatedly that vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. As much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. And a man that is soon angry dealeth foolishly. But thank the Lord, a man of wicked devices, he's not loved. Ultimately, he's going to be hated. I'm going to tell you something. Over the last uh, 39, going on 40 years of ministry, I have had the opportunity to know many people. I've known the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I've seen some really ugly people. Uh, I'm thinking of a man, I would not say his name. He's now departed this life. I hope that he's in heaven. By his profession... He's in heaven, but by His life, there's reason to question because I saw no evidence in it of the Holy Spirit. Every time He came to church, He had something negative to say to every single person. He never was blessed by a message. He was never blessed by a song. It was too loud. It was too long. It was cold. too cold. It was too hot. That person was dressed too Godly, that person was dressed too plainly. This person had too much makeup. This person needed to use makeup. He just had something negative to say about every single person. And uh, he was married to a very uh, small and fragile woman who shared with me upon finally gaining the courage to get away from him that he was an abusive man. Who when she had gone through a back surgery and was incapacitated, He tormented her and tortured her while she was in the bed of affliction, leaving scars and bruises on her body when she could not so much as move, and laughing hideously as he did so. When she died, the family came to me and said, this man is not welcome. If he comes, we're calling the authorities. And if they don't get here quick enough, we'll deal with him. Well, when he died, I did his service. And there were a few folks that came to that service, although he had been in three churches over a 50-year period of time in this valley. There was a handful of people that gathered together. As I stood at the casket while folks filed by, I heard some say, I wonder where he really is. They didn't stand there and say, well, he's in a far better place. I'm going to tell you, if you have a short fuse and you're an angry person, there are not many people really that are going to think fondly of you. Now, we love you, but we may not like you. And... A man of wicked devices is hated. People don't like him. And I know we're called to love our enemies. But the truth is, if you wonder why you don't have very many friends, it might be that you need to take a look in the mirror and understand that 
you know, perhaps your anger is off-putting. And that if we dealt more graciously and kindly and compassionately, there would be more people who had a desire to spend time with us. We look on in verse 18. It says, The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. The simple are those that we mention, not that have a mental incapacity, but they have a singular desire, and that is to please themselves. That's it. They simply want what they want, and it doesn't matter what anybody says, including God. They are the simple-minded, and what they do for their life vested in themselves, what they get is folly. Foolishness. I don't know if you've ever tried to hold on to a handful of sand. Maybe you've gone to a beach somewhere and you've, you've taken a handful of sand and you've squeezed it as tightly as you could. And when you open your hand, you find out that there are just very few grains of that sand left there because the tighter we cleave to it, the more it seems to escape our grasp. And the simple person who runs after the selfish things of this life and the desires of the flesh does so to their folly because at the end of it all they will have nothing redemptive or of value that remains from that life. That will be the inheritance that you have. Nothing of consequence nothing of value when it's about you. But the Bible says in verse 18, the prudent are crowned with knowledge. You see, those that don't trust their own heart, but trust in the heart of God, God will endue, not just with smarts. He'll give you knowledge. And I, I believe that, listen, God will give you His mind, and it will be a crown unto you. And if anybody understood that, it was Solomon who asked the Lord for wisdom. God made him wiser than any man, but you know, he departed from the ways of wisdom. The fact that he might have known right didn't necessarily dictate that he did right. And so now he's telling his children, those that do not trust in their own wisdom are going to be crowned with knowledge. And my friends, what follows that is found in verse 19, that the evil bow before the good. Those people who have lived their lives for themselves at the end of days will have to bow down and acknowledge that those who have lived a life for God have an enduring inheritance while they have nothing to show, they will have to admit that they were wrong. They bow before the good and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. You know, listen, they're, they're going to they're bow down. They're going to be at the gates of the righteous and have to acknowledge you have more to show for your life lived for God 
more of honor, more of value than all the stuff that I've been able to amass. Folks, it has been said only one life, how soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let me say that again. Only one life, how soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Folks, listen. We've just learned about those that invest in their selfish desires as compared to those that live a life that's well-pleasing unto the Lord. I can't speak for you. But my personal testimony is that I've wasted too many opportunities. That I could have used redemptively for the Lord. I've broken too many hearts over the years and there's deep and woeful regret over bad decisions made. But I can't wallow around in the muck and the mire of sin's past. I have to forget those things which are behind and look forth into those things which are before because there is life yet to live. There are choices yet to be made. And there are people that God has placed in the path that need a consistent witness. And I'm like Solomon. I have sat my children down and said, I've been down the road that leads to destruction. And I've decided that since God has been merciful to me, I'm going to build a roadblock. And I'm going to stand in the way to keep my kids from going down to the place of destruction and heartache. And I want to do everything that I can for the remainder of my days to live redemptively and to show and to demonstrate to my children the power of God's restorative and redeeming grace. My friends, it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. What matters is who you know and where you're headed. And tonight, God is calling us into relationship with Him alone. And to make certain that our destiny is sure. And that being heaven. These are words from a man that made a lot of mistakes. But he wanted to do redemptively in the end of his days. Maybe you're like me, you've made a lot of mistakes. Why don't you determine from this moment forward. You want to live the remainder of your life. In such a way. And after a manner and a fashion that God will bring forth your righteousness as the noonday. You don't have to tell anybody. They just know. God reveals it. And we don't have to think about it. We don't have to tout it. It's just self-evident. Folks, let's be wise concerning these things. And let's take the words of an imperfect dad who wanted to, in a last redemptive act, help his kids. Let's live redemptively from this moment forward. Father God, we thank You and praise You
for the Word of God and how that it, it holds truth that we need to take deep within our hearts. Lord, let it settle in our bones and become a part of who we are. Lord, I pray that tonight as we consider the truth of these Proverbs that we would understand that You can use any person. Lord, we're grateful for the grace that You bestowed upon us to be able to serve You. Lord, I pray that others may see and know that Christ is in us. Lord, help us tonight to remember the words of this proverb. And Lord, not just to be hearers of the Word, but but doers. And Lord, may You receive the glory, the honor, and the praise. For this we ask in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. I want to talk to you for just a moment. Perhaps you have joined us for the broadcast and in your heart of hearts you do not even know that if you died tonight that you would spend forever in heaven with the Lord and you're concerned about that as well you should be. If you do not know that your sins are forgiven and that heaven is secure for you, I want you to listen very carefully to me for the next couple of moments. The Bible gives us the gospel and that is the good news. The good news is that God loves you. And He wants to spend forever with you. But we have to understand these things first. And that is that, first of all, all men are sinners. That means you and that means me. The Bible says, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The trouble is that we were born into sin because Adam fell and we are his descendants. And so... You may be able to change what you do, but you cannot change who you are. And that is a sinner by birth. The Bible says there's a consequence for sin. The soul that sinneth, the Bible says, shall surely die. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so we understand that there's a consequence for sin, and that is death. Death is separation. The, body says, the Bible says that the body without the spirit is dead. And so, the separation of the body and the spirit results in death. The separation of the spirit from God is spiritual death in a place called hell. And that's what we deserve because of our sin. It's called the second death in Revelation 20 and verse 14 and 15. But God, the Bible says, commended His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God loves you so much. He doesn't want you to go to hell. He wants to save you from going there. And so Jesus took your punishment. And though you and I deserve to die a separation from God and suffer for our sin, God said, I'm going to send Jesus who will suffer and die in your place and pay the price for your sin so that you can be forgiven forever of every sin. And now He offers forgiveness to you and a home in heaven and the Bible tells us it's a free gift it says the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord over and over again in Romans 5 salvation is called a free gift a free gift a free gift you see it's not anything you have to work for or earn it's something that Jesus has paid for in full with His death on the cross. And He wants to give it to you if you will simply believe Him. 
and receive it. If you believe that Jesus is the only hope that you have of forgiveness and a home in heaven, if you believe that He died and was buried and that He rose again to offer you life in heaven with Him, then I'm going to invite you. If you know you're a sinner, that you deserve to go to hell, that Jesus loved you so much, He took your place, and now He offers you heaven. If you believe that, I want you to pray with me in just a moment if you desire to be forgiven and know that heaven is your home. Now, my prayer will never save you. But let me say this, if the words of this prayer reflect the desire and passion of your heart, I want you to pray them with me. And that prayer, my friend, from your heart will save you. For the Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want to invite you right now to pray along with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I confess that I am a sinner. Lord, I know that I cannot change that condition and I cannot save myself. I now invite Jesus into my heart and into my life to forgive me of all of my sin and to save me so that I may spend forever in heaven with Him. I'm now trusting in Jesus and Jesus only to save me and take me to heaven. Thank You for dying on the cross for me. Enable me to live for Thee. For this I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My friends, if you just prayed that prayer believing, then on the authority of God's Word, you have been saved. You've been forgiven of your sin, and your name is now written in the book of life. Heaven is yours. I want to say that God knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. That's what the Bible says. And you and I will not make perfect choices from now to heaven. And if you decide to sin tomorrow, Jesus Christ paid the price for that sin as well because when He hung on the cross, all of our sins were yet in the future. And He took care of those sins as well, past, present, and future. He's given you eternal life. It never ends. And He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. If you've made that decision, we want you to send us an email, go through Sermon Audio or our website, freewaybaptist.org, and tell us about your decision. We want to send you a Bible freely and some information that will help you in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ be a comfort to you. Thank you for joining us tonight. It's been my privilege to open the Word of God to you and for those of you that perhaps took Christ as your Savior tonight. Thank you for the joy of sharing the greatest message the world has ever heard. We're living in uncertain times. Trust in the all-powerful, unchanging God. And until we meet again, may the Lord richly bless you.